the reading tonight is um, the letter to the church in Sardis on page 1,235, Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lane. Good evening, everyone. Please do keep um, Revelation 3, 1 to 6 open, and we'll pray now as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, if there are areas of our lives where we are comfortable without Jesus, we pray that your word would challenge us. And Lord, where there are times in life where we are oppressed and afflicted because we follow Jesus, we pray that your word would comfort us in his name. Amen. Amen. To the angel of the church in Sardis. Where is Sardis? What was life like there when this letter was written? Uh, well, we've got a map on the screen. Um, here's where Sardis would have been on a modern map of Turkey. These seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3 were written to seven churches in modern-day Turkey. It was known as Asia Minor back then. Uh, we had the first one a few weeks ago written to Ephesus, and now we're at stop number five on the circuit. This is Sardis, and, and that's where it is. They're just northeast of Ephesus. It was in a region called Lydia, and not just that, it was the home to the kings of Lydia. And the last great king of Lydia, before this letter, was the chap on this next slide. He's called Croesus. He was around um, five, 550 years before the birth of Jesus. Croesus was known for being pretty obsessed with his reputation, really. He had done the odd good thing to get a good reputation. He was a wealthy king. He'd actually been the main funder of the big temple to the goddess Diana in Ephesus, one of the, the great wonders of the ancient world. Uh, and so you can imagine if you lived in Sardis back then, you'd be quite proud of the fact that you had Croesus as your king, uh, and um, people would get to know that you're from Sardis. Oh, wow, that must be amazing. You must be all so, so wise and wealthy because you have this great king, Croesus. 
and you'd reply with things like, yeah, my, my mum used to babysit for his daughter, and you'd be quite proud of that connection or, or reputation. And this guy, Croesus, was very into maintaining his reputation. He used to invite visiting philosophers and scholars to come and assess, you know, a bit like using the mirror on the wall like the wicked stepmother did. He would ask these visitors, who would you say has the best reputation amongst all the kings of Asia Minor? Or who do you think is the wisest in these parts? Uh, Obviously hoping uh, that his reputation would be second to none in the known world of the day. Now, years later, Jesus writes this letter to the church in Sardis with a warning and a promise. And it's all got to do with reputation, with names. It seems that the majority of the church were in real need of the warning that we see in the first part of the letter. They'd slipped into thinking that their name, their reputation with the outside world was more important than what Jesus thought of them. Yet there were some in this church who had been faithful to Jesus at great cost. And they are assured that Jesus will never blot out their name from the book of life. So we've got a letter here in two parts, a a warning, a challenge, and then a promise, uh, an assurance, if you like. And we could summarize it um, like this slide does here. Dear church, this is the message of the, the letter to Sardis. Dear church, relying on reputation leads to death. So rely on Jesus and find life. We're going to look at those two lines of that statement in turn. Uh, firstly, Verses 1 to 3, relying on reputation leads to death. Relying on reputation leads to death. Now, having a reputation is pretty unavoidable, really. It's what other people think about you. It's what other people tell other people about you, for good or ill. Individuals have reputations. Organizations have reputations as well. Churches even have reputations. I wonder what you think the reputation of Christchurch Banstead is out in our community or further afield? What reputation would you really like us to have? Maybe that we're known for being a, a good church for families and children, that we're a church that's always open, we've got a busy calendar, lots of activities and groups running, that we've got lots of events on, especially at Christmas, that we run our own preschool, that we have this, that and the other. What is it that really makes our church feel alive? What do we think we'd love to be known for? It might be some of those things. They're not necessarily wrong things. But our reputation is not what makes us alive. In reality, whatever anybody else might think of our church or of you as a Christian... The only evaluation that matters, the only verdict that matters, the only opinion that matters is that of Jesus himself. So that goes for us as individuals as well. I wonder what your your reputation is, do you think, uh, as an individual person? What do people think of you? What do people tell others about you? Is it something that you're, you're proud of, something that you're working hard to maintain, Maybe it's something that you're trying to shake off, if you're honest. Well, maybe it's just a reputation that you're sort of, yeah, you're you're there, you're 
you're steady, you're stable. Most people like you. You're pretty reliable. And if you're honest, deep down, you're just living off that reputation, hoping that nobody will really notice or come to know the real you one day. But the one person who does know, who always knows and always sees, is Jesus. He says there, middle of verse 1, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He says to this church here, I can see right through your reputation, but I know what you're really like. For some people, hearing Jesus saying, I, I can see your situation, is, is a comforting thing, isn't it? But actually for others, like this first group in Sardis, it's a, it's a real reality check. It's a sobering wake-up call. Jesus has, yeah, he's read the reports. He's heard other people talk about the community in Sardis and the church there. He, he's been on their social media page and seen all the great things that they do. He's heard about how these are really good people here. But this is Jesus who also walks among the lampstands. He, he gets right into these churches. He is there with them. He hears everything. He, he sees everything in every local body of believers in Sardis and in Banstead today. He knows exactly what each church is like. He knows exactly what each individual within a church is like. And just as Sardis, the city, was living off a a former fame from the days of Croesus and, and the temple building and all that. That kind of attitude seemed to be infecting the, the church here as well. What was it that um, made these people's deeds unfinished in the sight of God, as Jesus puts it there at the end of verse 2? They've got unfinished deeds. So despite having a reputation of being spiritually alive, they, they haven't done something. And actually... They're spiritually dead because of it. It seems from what we read closely in this letter and what we understand from God's word as a whole, Jesus is addressing people in Sardis here who had previously professed faith in him. They said at one point, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus. But they'd quickly become complacent about the demands of, of the gospel. They'd experienced maybe a little bit of being rejected because they said they followed Jesus, a bit of being shunned, and they didn't like it. Maybe they were losing out on their position within their family or with their employment. All of a sudden, there, there was a real cost to following Jesus, to saying, yeah, I'm with Jesus. It might be a relational cost, a financial cost, or, or something else. And that caused them to shy away, to step back a bit. They would keep one foot in the church. They'd still keep coming along and keeping up appearances. But what you would have noticed if you knew them is that they would have stopped talking about Jesus with their non-Christian friends and family. They would be a lot less willing to bring him up in conversation. They'd happily go along with whatever situation they were in, what the people thought was okay then in order not to upset them. So... If you see the, the opposite group um, that Jesus addresses here, uh, are the ones mentioned in 4 to 6. We'll, we'll come back to them shortly. Um, these folks in 4 to 6, they're promised that Jesus will acknowledge their name before his Father. 
So that's the promise Jesus gives them. I'm going to acknowledge your name before my Father. So, so bear that in mind. Uh, we're going a little bit round the houses here to understand the first group uh, a bit better. Bear that in mind. And then hear some words from Jesus from Matthew chapter 10. He says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So do you see how these two things go together? So if you realize that talking about Jesus makes your, your reputation go down and you're not really in your heart of hearts truly committed to him, then you're going to stop talking about Jesus. But if you don't worry about those things, if actually in your heart of hearts you are overwhelmingly convinced that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he's rescued you by his grace, that you know, the only opinion in your life that really matters is his, then you will count that cost and acknowledge his name before others. So the challenging question for this first group in Sardis and for any of us here who share their characteristics is if you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't ever bear the name of Jesus, you don't ever bear witness to Jesus, then have you really, in the first place, been a true follower of Jesus? Are you really all about him? Because there's a, a pretty severe warning here. Jesus himself promises judgment for those who do not repent of this position. Now, true Christians will bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think we're encouraged that that is the, very much the normal, natural state of affairs. That's part of being a, a disciple of Jesus. And, and so if you are a follower of Jesus, this warning is not designed to terrify you. This isn't speaking here of the, the occasional missed opportunity, the, the feeling we had last week when we thought, oh, I wish I'd invited such and such to the carol service. It's not talking about that, but if in your life there's a, a settled pattern of never wanting to talk about Jesus, not wanting to put him first in, in everything, because of what people will think about you, because of your reputation, if you find yourself in that position, or if you know anybody else in that position, listen carefully to what Jesus calls these people to do, verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. In fact, in verse 2, he's called them, first of all, to, to wake up. And the way such people are to wake up is to remember what they've received. In other words, remember that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the message that established this church in Sardis, that they heard uh, and they thought they'd understood and they, they thought they were perhaps even living for. Remember this truth. Remember Jesus. Name his name. Put him first. Don't be ashamed of him. Hold tightly to your confession about him. And repent. Repent. Turn, turn from avoiding talking about Jesus. Turn from, repent from caring more about what others think of you than what Jesus thinks of you. Repent, the letter says. Turn from those things. Begin to hold 
fast to him. Do it by naming his name, by saying uh, amongst the people that you interact with unashamedly, yes, in the right context with the right words, but I want you to know I'm somebody who follows Jesus. And let me tell you about him. We can all sympathize with this temptation, can't we? However long we've been Christians, it's all too easy faced with that choice to to want to stay on the good side of somebody, whether that's a a family member, a a classmate, a neighbor, a work colleague. We don't naturally want to get into a, a conversation about Jesus that might be confrontational, that might be challenging for somebody. We want to avoid those discussions if we can. But sometimes confessing Jesus, proclaiming the good news about him is is the good thing to do, even if it's a, perceived as a confrontational thing to do. Jesus warns those inside us here and those of us here this evening, for those who say they follow him, but never confess him, never say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, then there's a warning here. There's great rewards for those who do confess his name, but there's a warning of judgment to come for those who don't, no matter how good their reputation is at being part of church. Maybe you're with us tonight and you're someone who, if you're honest, you, you've never really got to that committed second half group of Sardis where you've been willing to go all in for Jesus and confess him as your Lord and Savior and King. Maybe because you're afraid of what family or friends would think, what it would do to your reputation. Beware. If you think it's okay to be in that position and just drift through life, being on the fringes of church, as long as you're sort of associated with Christ Church and with the church family here, then then that's, that's okay. I don't have to say anything as long as I sort of go along and are part of the community a bit then that's going to lead me to life. Well, Jesus says, no, that's, that's not life. That's like spiritual death row. He's saying, wake up from that. Beware. He says, if you do not confess him as Lord, you won't, he will come in judgment, and you won't know when, and you won't be able to stop him. Uh, and that is worse than any consequences that you're trying to avoid for not following Jesus, for not confessing him before others. So let me encourage you, if you've not done that, to do that today. Do that this Christmas. I think at Christmas we, we see this in stark contrast, don't we? we? We do a lot of churchy things. We hear a lot about Jesus and following him. Uh, and a lot of the rest of the time is spent in doing relational things with neighbors or friends or family. And our worlds collide. And it's a challenge. It's an opportunity to say to ourselves, who's most important in my heart? Who will I speak up about who will I glory in this Christmas we need to do that as a church too and not just live off our reputation that's why we gather together each week to remind ourselves of this good news about Jesus so that we don't drift into assuming that we know it which is actually not too far from just dropping it altogether. if you're a Christian who's finding it hard to confess Jesus at the moment in a particular context, or if you feel weak in this area, uh, and I think that's all of us, 
Uh, Be encouraged by verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Uh, That's a kind of picture of the, the perfect spirit of God, if you like, the Holy Spirit, the helper of God's people, the spirit of Jesus. He is the one Jesus gives to us to enable us to bear witness to him. None of this is done in our own strength but we trust the one who holds the seven spirits of God. And what about those comfortable with their reputation? What can they expect if they don't repent and hold fast to Jesus? Uh, The answer is sudden, it's unexpected. Halfway through verse 3, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. We've only got to go back to ancient Sardis again for an illustration of this. So remember our friend on the pot, King Croesus? Well, he thought life was pretty good. He was living off his reputation. Uh, And actually, um, he lived in Sardis, which was a pretty safe place to live. It was pretty impenetrable. We've got a few sort of modern pictures of what it used to look like um, on the next slide. So it was on a hill. It was high up. Uh, There was only one way into this city. It was very easy to defend. Uh, Round the back of those pictures... There was another section where the the cliff was just so steep and and rugged, they just didn't even bother to patrol around there. They thought, no, nobody's ever going to get up there. But in 546 BC, so not long after Croesus's heyday, um, that's exactly, that bit around the back is exactly where Cyrus and his Persian army attacked Sardis, scaled the city and, and completely defeated it. You can imagine the men in in Sardis peering over the the front of their city, thinking, oh, here comes another army. Who's who's at this time? Oh, it looks like Cyrus and and the Persians, but they're they're never going to be able to get to us. Nobody ever has before. We're so safe. We're so secure. And then you turn around, and there's a Persian soldier right behind you. He's right there. He's come up the bit that you thought was so secure that nobody was patrolling it, and there's 50 men behind him and another 100 on their way. That's the kind of coming that Jesus is talking about here. It will be sudden, it will be unexpected, it will be devastating and final. And so if you're someone who's hanging around church, but you've never named the name of Jesus, you've never accepted his salvation, you've never committed in your hearts to to naming him as your Savior and Lord and professing that before others publicly, then this part of God's word urges you to repent, to turn, to remember this good news about Jesus, to reflect on the truth this Christmas that God loved this world and showed his love by sending his one and only son into the world to die in the place of sinners so that whoever believes, whoever trusts in him will never face this judgment, will never perish, but will have eternal life. Relying on reputation leads to death. But what comfort is there for those who have been getting flack for relying on Jesus? Well, part two of the message, rely on Jesus and find life, verses four to six. If relying on reputation leads to death, then rely on Jesus and find life. We're introduced to the the faithful few in Sardis in verses four and five. 
yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. These Christians, for that is who they are, are called worthy, not because they've done something to earn themselves a place in heaven, but rather because they've not shrunk back from naming the name of Christ. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. But these faithful few are described in verse 4 as having not soiled their clothes. This is picture language, if you like, uh, for not being contaminated by the pagan, idolatrous world that they were living in. They, these Christians had not given in to the world's demands that they toe the line, that they stop talking about Jesus, that they join in with the worship of other gods, gods that were no gods at all. Unlike the group that was all concerned about their reputation, this second group have honoured Jesus in their family life, in their work life, in their society. They've been faithful to him. They wouldn't soil their clothes in such a way. They're considered worthy because they hold fast to Jesus. They confess his name. They follow Jesus' own pattern of, of life and service. Being willing to suffer now in the light of the glory that is to come. The one that is considered most worthy in the book of Revelation is, well, the one who created all things, God the Father, but also, Revelation 5, worthy is the Lamb, Jesus, who was slain and with his blood purchased people for God. And that's the pattern of worthiness that faithful believers are called to follow as we walk by faith to the new creation. And what awaits us there? What's in store for those who are victorious? Victorious over the temptation to keep quiet about Jesus, victorious over the the temptation to rely on reputation rather than relying on Jesus. Well, these faithful believers will be dressed in white. They will walk with Jesus, verse 5. They will don the, the clean clothes fit for glory, and they will receive assurance from Jesus. They receive these words, indeed, now today, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. <coughs> See, those who name the name of Christ will have their name proclaimed by Christ himself, by Jesus himself, before the Father, as he reads from the book of life. And once again, this promise of never having your name blotted out it's not something that's meant to unsettle you if you are a follower of Jesus in fact nowhere in the Bible does it say that people can have their names blotted out of the book of life it it just doesn't happen if you're in you're in so why say this here I think it gave the church then and gives us now extra reassurance so it could well be that the believers in Sardis 
were facing opposition from different types of people in their community. So as well as the challenge that they were facing to be distinct from their pagan neighbours, uh, to be willing to talk to them about Jesus, to not go along with idol worship, I think they were also experiencing some persecution from some Jews in the synagogue. So there would have been Christians in Sardis, perhaps some who had a Jewish background themselves, who were being made to suffer by a group of Jews because they named the name of Jesus, because they professed faith in him. It's quite probable that in those days the, the synagogues kept records of attenders, sort of membership lists of people who belonged to their synagogue community. And then when somebody said, I'm, I've come to, to Christ, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus now, I'm trusting in him, I'm following him, then what would often happen is those communities would quite dramatically blot out that person's name from a membership list or, or book uh, and erase them there as they were rejected and shunned by their old community. And so Jesus says to them here and to us, you need not fear if that happens, because I will never blot you out, I will never blot your name out from, from my book, and my book is the book of life. And so if you've experienced anything like this already, or if it ever happens to you in the future, if we find ourselves blotted out of different groups for following Jesus, these could be friendship groups, work groups, family groups even, if we, even as a church, corporate, are, are rejected for following Jesus, if we're told corporately that actually Christchurch Banstead, you now cannot do X, Y, and Z, because you're putting your beliefs in the Bible and Jesus above what we require you to do in this country, if that ever happens, if we ever experience restrictions on what we can do, what benefits we can enjoy, if any of us individually face that, that shunning, that rejection, that, that blotting out from relationships, then let us always remember Jesus never blots us out. Our name is safe with him. And for all the, the ridicule and rejection that we may have to face now, and didn't Jesus himself face just that, we can be sure that in the end we have nothing to fear. Remember, the only judge of character that really matters is Jesus himself. And what's he doing right now? He is acknowledging your name, Christian before his Father in heaven, before his angels. And he has your name down on the only list that really matters. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the great preachers in the 20th century. Uh, when he was older and dying of cancer, uh, one of his friends said to him, how are you managing to, to bear up? You've been accustomed to preaching several times a week. You've begun important Christian organizations and enterprises. Your influence still extends throughout the world. People are listening to your tapes of your sermons on five continents. And now you're just on the shelf. You can manage a few minutes of writing every day, perhaps. 
His friend said, I'm not asking how you're coping with the disease itself, but how are you coping with the stress of being out of action? And Lloyd-Jones responded by quoting Jesus' words in in Luke chapter 10, uh, where his followers have just returned from what they thought was quite a successful mission. And Jesus said to them, and Lloyd-Jones quotes to his friend, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. With all that we are and all that we do as church, let's not set our hearts on receiving rave reviews from the world. Do you know our church has a five-star rating on Google at the moment? It's wonderful. But who cares if it goes one star tomorrow? Let's seek the acknowledgement of Jesus before the Father. That is where true victory is to be found. By trusting that Jesus holds us securely in heaven, that we are safe through faith in him alone. And that enables us in the power of the Spirit to keep on bearing witness to Jesus in our lives today, even when it's going to cost us. Our reputations may go up and down in the sights of people, but As the hymn writer says, my name, talking of a Christian, my name is graven on Jesus' hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can force me to depart. So nobody who mocks you or, or slanders you or excludes you from their group for following Jesus, they don't have the power to force you out of heaven where you are safe with Jesus. Jesus says, the one who is victorious will be dressed in white and will walk with me. So which side of Sardis will we find ourselves on today? That side that says, the most important thing in my life is what other people think of me? If that's you, be warned, wake up, hold fast to Jesus. Make him your Lord and Savior. Or will you be on the side that says, the most important thing in my life is what Jesus thinks of me? And will we keep doing that as a church community as well? We could have a good name for any number of reasons. But let's pray that we'd be a church that treasures Christ, whatever the world thinks of us, whatever it costs our reputation. Let's Name the name of Jesus. And that's how we'll be truly spiritually alive. Because we know that our name is safe with him. Let's pray. Father, help us to respond to your word by running in faith to the Lord Jesus, whether that's for the first time or, Lord, in the, in the midst of all the challenges of following him, uh, Lord, may we cling to him afresh, may we hold fast to our testimony about him. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the assurance that your word brings that we are safe with him. Uh, Lord, thank you for Uh, The words of the song we're about to sing, one with my Lord, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. 
My life is safe with Christ on high, with Christ my Saviour and my God. Amen. Amen. Just a minute or so as the musicians get ready.